Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 3, Episode 6, and today we have a very special guest joining us to discuss Andor, the Star Wars show on Disney+. Welcome Hillary from Bookborn. Thanks for Hello, thank on. you for having me. Yeah, where can people find you if they're not already familiar with you? Yeah, you can find me on YouTube at Bookborn. Or on Instagram at bookborn.reviews. Those are just the two main places. Yay. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. So we thought, it, I thought it would be fun to talk about Andor because it's like, and why it's the best Star Wars show, in my opinion. I, what do you guys think? <laughs> it is the best Star Wars show. I mean, this is a vi- this was mostly an audio medium, but I am wearing an Andor shirt. So clearly I feel very strongly about Andor being the best Star Wars TV but show. But I would say it's not the best Star Wars TV show. It's the only good Star Wars. <laughs> Shots fired. Oof. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but like I couldn't finish The Mandalorian because I found it too boring. You're not wrong. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like watched the first couple episodes of Mandalorian, and then I left for a while, and mm-hmm. then I came back like in season two because my husband kept watching it, and he was like, "Oh, okay. it's a lot more interesting now." Or at the end of season one, so I definitely skipped episodes, and he's like, "You haven't missed much." And then I, I enjoyed season two, but not. Mm-hmm. An, I haven't even started season three. Because I'm, I don't feel super strongly about it. Like I enjoyed my time. Also, with season it. three is terrible. Yeah, I know. Well, oh, Leanna didn't like season three, and it was just like, well, then what's the point? You know? Really? Yeah. I mean, season. I got halfway through season one, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's like because it's monster of the week, but there's no ongoing care. Like I can't. I, I want the character interactions, and you just don't get much of that. So that was my problem with it too. It was too monster of the week for me, which some people love. But I am sure. not really like a monster of the week person unless there is a clear overarching story, which happens in season two more, which is why I enjoyed okay. season two so much more. But I mean, it's not like I'm like, oh, but you've got to watch season two, Bethany. Like, I, I don't feel that strongly about it. Like, I enjoyed it. Okay. So, I mean, okay. I think I probably like the Mandalorian best of the three of us, but I'm not like I'm an Uber fan or anything. And I hate season three. Um, but uh I think because there's Star Wars is so big all the time and it's always like the Empire, the Rebellion. It's like these Mm -hmm. huge stories. The Skywalkers have to be involved. So it's like it was just nice to just have this little show that's like it's literally just like this local township has a problem. This local area has a problem. And then it's just like a way to just explore the Star Wars universe in a pretty low stakes way. Cute little baby alien kind of like gruff dad character. It's it's like it's nice to just have that and not have this like mega crossover, like legacy characters show up lightsaber. Like it's like too much all the time. And then the stories cross over all the time. And then you have to watch all the other stories to understand what's going on. So like, while Mando was like a, a smaller thing, I was like, this isn't like brilliant writing or anything. Cause it's not, which is why I would say Andor is like the only like really good, well-written show. Cause Mando was like good for what it is. Like it's entertaining some more star wars like it has cute jokes it has cute moments like it's like fine for what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas like andor is like oh this is like good writing good production good everything good acting yeah. even the side characters the Mandalorian is one of those shows where like i enjoyed it 
don't mm-hmm. feel super strongly about it. And if someone told me they loved it, it would make sense to me. Whereas mm-hmm. there's some other Star Wars shows when people love them, I'm like, I don't understand how it's possible that you love this TV show. Yeah. Or at least The Mandalorian is quality enough that I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like if Monst- you like that, it's fine. Great. I get it. It's Baby Yoda. I think, <laughs> I think just like problem, Baby Yoda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the problem for me with it is that I want more character development. So, like, I see what you're saying, Liana, and I'm fine with the low stakes, chill version of Star Wars. That sounds great. But there was one episode that I was invested in, and then we left and never saw those characters again. And I was like, I'm out. I can't. I mean, my <laughs> favorite episode is the one with Bill Burr in it. So I was like, can every episode just have Bill Burr in it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I liked the one at the fishing village with the mom, the single mom. Like I, I was, I, I knew I was going to call that it was that episode <laughs> because I was so invested in that episode. Yes, I, was, yes. I bet it's the episode with the mom. Like that's that the was thing the I one. Yeah, <laughs> it and totally was. There, I forget. I don't know her name, but I also like. There's this one other female character who was kind of a recurring character, but then she got fired mm-hmm. because she said really bad stuff online. Oh, Gina Carano. Yeah, that was also a huge damper because I was like, oh, I liked you in the show. And now you're fired. Cool. That is is a bummer. A bummer. But we are here to talk about Andor, which is truly really good. I was rewatching a bunch of episodes today to like have it fresh in my memory. And it's just it's so well done. And the actors they hired are so good. And the writing and like it's just What's also like super impressive about it is that like with the track record of Disney Star Wars shows, you're already like, it's probably not going to be good because none of them are good. And then not only is it a Disney Star Wars show, but it's a prequel of a prequel and prequels already aren't good. It's a prequel of a prequel. And you're like, there's just no way that's going to be good. Right. (laughs) And it's the only good one. (laughs) I mean, I think it's interesting because I, I really loved Rogue One when it came out. Um, And so that gave me a little bit of confidence. But the other interesting thing is I feel like it's one of the only things that has a vision. Um, Mm. I mean, Mando did. But when I compare it to Obi-Wan, which PJ, thank you in the comments for saying (laughs) how I feel about Obi-Wan. In case people don't know, I I hated Obi-Wan with such a passion. It's hard for me to talk about. Um, I haven't even tried it because the reviews looked so terrible. (sighs) I like I can't. I just get too wound up. But, um, you know, the same person who did Andor did Rogue One, like, clearly they have a vision they have Mm -hmm. a story to tell and it's very interesting to me that they said that they only want to do two seasons which is something I love when someone's like look this is the story there is to tell and I'm going to tell it in just the amount of time that needs to tell it I'm not going to keep it going on and you just I at least sense that when you watch Andor like it is there's a story to be told and it tells it so well yeah well, I think going back and rewatching part of it too has been interesting because knowing things that happen, there's moments of foreshadowing that aren't noticeable enough that you would pick up on it if you're watching it the first time. But watching it back, you're like, oh, yeah, that comment related to what's going to happen. <laughs> like, it's just, it's really, it's good. It's pretty rewatchable too. Yeah, Yeah, I found when I was trying to pull clips for my video on it that I was getting like re-emotional even just like looking at the clips because oh, they just focus on the characters so well. Um, One of my favorite moments being um, all the names just immediately left my head, but the sister of Mon Mothma. Yes, Vel? 
Val. Val. And her girlfriend slash not girlfriend, mm-hmm. but sort of girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, as the names have left. I but remember. I love the symmetry of like the girlfriend telling her, you know, we give everything to the to the rebellion and we take what's left. And then she turns around and says that to her sister and the mm-hmm. way that that snowballed, like there's just so many good little moments like that. Like you said, kind of like foreshadowing or whatever you want to call it, where it just develops such a good story over the entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. But so Speaking think- of which, Mon Mothma is like iconic and her looks are just always amazing. Amazing. <laughs> It's also a really good match for the actress from the original movie. Like, it's very believably the same person. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But, um, so, like, why do you think it is that a prequel of a prequel can be so compelling? I mean, I think because it's about people. I'm hearing, like, a feedback. I don't know if that's... Yeah, I hear it, too. It might be. Um, but... So I think it's because it focuses on on really human relationships. I mean, you think about even how everything got going in the beginning and why everything spiraled for Cassian. It's really because of very human choices made by a couple of characters, right? That like everything kind of spiraled into what it is. And I think the focus on people and character development and how they're intertwined with this larger political narrative is what makes it work. It's less about just like cool action sequences or set pieces or like calling back to other Star Wars films. It's really about like telling this. Well, but the problem like usually would be like with a prequel is that like, who cares because I know how this ends. So like, I know he's going to join the rebellion and I know he's going to die in Rogue One. So like, why should I watch this? And it's like, I mean, that's true, but I I feel like a show would often make, or movies would often make the mistake of like having each episode or each season, the hook for you to want to keep watching is like, oh, he's in danger. Is he going to make it? Or like, is he going to join the rebellion? Stay tuned to find out. But they Mm -hmm. know that we know. And so then like, that is never the question that you're wondering. That is never the hook for watching the show. It's like, what makes him join the rebellion? I know he joins the rebellion, but he but isn't why? in the rebellion now. What, what pushes him over the edge? And also all the other people around him are not legacy characters. You're like, and I also don't know what happens to them at all. So yeah. like, if yeah. you make me care about them and you make me wonder what makes him join, it doesn't matter that I know the end. Mm-hmm. Well, because think about where he starts, right? He's this sort of con man playboy who like can't get his shit together (laughs) like I mean that's kind of how he begins the show and so how does he get to where we know he's going to end up I think that's really interesting and compelling yeah I actually was going to defend the prequel thing as well Kyle did in the comments said something similar to what I was going to say which is that I actually don't see Rogue One as prequely as people think it is because yes, we knew that happened there. It's more like taking a statement and then expanding on it because that prequel didn't have any known characters in it other than Darth Vader and very few scenes. It was a whole new cast, uh, which is rare in prequels. Like usually prequels try to capitalize, as Kyle said, on known things, which is why I think Rogue One worked because it took a very little tiny known thing and so in that way, Rogue One feels less of a prequel, whereas the show Andor is clearly a prequel to Rogue One. Um, 
because it has Cassian. But again, like Liana said, it really only has Cassian. Um, we're not following everybody. Um, so I think that is its benefit. I um, I do think it's, like Liana said, very interesting that they really do not try to give you mysteries. They know you know how it ends. And I think them leaning into that is why one well one of the reasons it is so good because it doesn't fall into a lot of the the classic traps Mm -hmm. yeah i can see that i think also you get such a strong sense of what it's like to be in these different places because as we're moving from place i mean even just i was thinking about like the prison he ends up in right like it to me it's so sort of visceral what that experience is like for the inmates and how that then relates to like the larger piece of what the empire is trying to accomplish and i don't know i think that's i think similarly to rogue one like what andor does really well again is that like usually star wars movies and to a greater or lesser degree the shows as well are these really like um like bird's eye big picture kind of like the rebellion and like the empire and who's heading it who's making like the like top level decisions here and they then you hear about like well i mean obviously the rebellion has to have like thousands millions of people involved the empire has thousands millions of people involved and like that's just kind of like an off-screen like you have to know that that's generally happening for your current leadership people to be where they are but like the rebellion that you see that like luke and uh, and co are part of like they're only part of a very small part of it and often like the like high level part of it. And like with Rogue One, you're like, okay, but this little like this little throwaway thing that's like, oh, the Death Star plans that we just got that like, it's like, whatever, we got them. It's fine. Like how much went into freaking getting those plans and like Andor then even further expands on all these little pieces. You're like, okay, well the the Death Star gets built. Great. <laughs> but like, who's building it? How are they doing this? And like, it's similar to all those like, um, questions that are about when people do like world war ii movies and they're like okay the nazis were bad hitler was bad but it's like but the individual people who like had to make choices about like joining the army leaving the army staying leaving helping family abandoning family it's like that's the part of it that like star wars has never really been able to show in like the original saga movies but it's that like these individual people who joins the rebellion what makes you join the rebellion like uh as like a person who works for the empire, who's just like a pencil pusher, like what makes that person like do or not do something, you know, like all those things that had to have been true all along, but you never saw them and you, they were just implied. We get to see them now. Yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways um, they succeed at what the sequels um, failed at with Finn, which Finn was one of my favorite characters introduced in The Force Awakens. I I had my own issues with Force Awakens, and that's not this, but I loved the idea of Finn as a character, but they never actually did it, right? Like, they didn't actually deal with the reality of what his life would be. And I think that is in some ways why when they just let his character go and didn't lean into that might have been a reason that ultimately his arc feels hollow in the sequels. whereas like Leanna said, like one interesting thing about Andor is it's dealing with the messiness of the rebellion. I do think it walks a nice fine line though, because I I don't like the idea that like Star Wars has to be gritty to be good because Star Wars ultimately is a story of hope. Like the originals are very hopeful, very 
friendly yeah. in that way. And I don't want it to lose that. And so I think they do walk a really nice line. Um, I actually read something, it must've been the showrunner who said it about um, our main villain, again, whose name is gone. I looked this up and it's just gone, Blondie. Oh, yeah, yeah, I Dedra something. What's her last name? I always refer to her as anyway. I yeah, have it. I'll find it. It's in my notes. <laughs> they talk about how they want you to relate to her and like kind of be on her side, even though you're not. And then all of a sudden, you totally root for her. <laughs> you do. I totally was rooting for her. And they talked about how in the last two episodes, they purposely turn it on you. So you see how evil she really, like what evil she is upholding, because mm -hmm. it's shocking when she at the end is like saying, like doing terrible things. And they said they did that purposely because they wanted you to be on her side and feel for her. And then all of a sudden be reminded of the evil the empire truly is. It and was I thought so that good. Was, oh, it was really brilliant. Mm -hmm. and, and it was brilliantly done, especially with um, Cassian's mother's speech, which really reminded me of like the original series. And, and so I think they just weaved it nicely where they, they did get into the more gritty. They got into the more like morally gray, but they didn't remove themselves completely from what Star Wars is as, as a um, property. And so I, I appreciated that a lot. Well, I think Blondie gives us too the like, uh, Miro, I found it. Her name's Miro. Miro. The like, <laughs> uh, the how kind of like mundane evil is that it's not just Darth Vader's walking around choking people, you know, it's, it's bureaucrats upholding evil. And that like Vader was only Vader because of all of those people in suits that follow him and agree to go with his plans and agree to go like, we're like, Oh, the dark side, the Sith Lords, they're the evil ones. It's like, well, they're, they're like two people. There are millions of people that are saying, sir, yes, sir, to the atrocities they want to commit. And she's one of them and she's good at it. <laughs> so like lean in girl, we stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing is because you're seeing the inner workings of this very petty, corrupt bureaucracy, and she's trying to actually do the job she's supposed to do. And so you want to get behind that, except the job she's supposed to do is terrible. Um, and then at the same time... Well, but the people right, who are bad at the job aren't bad at it because they're trying to, like, prevent the Empire from doing harm. No, they're not like, no. oh, I'm going to... because they're in it for themselves. They're yeah. lazy and they're just like, they don't care that much. <laughs> But then you have like Cyril, the dude who like oh, Karn is like, yeah, like cannot let this go. He's like a dog with a bone, cannot let Cassian thing Cassian's things go. And also, I've got to say, I love his mom. I think she's hilarious. The French Dresher voice drove me. Oh my god, <laughs> she's totally like a New York Jewish or Italian mom. Is like. <laughs> got such a kick out of the way that her character interacts. Karn is so brilliantly written and Karn is um one of the characters that I think best shows how well they use their time on Andor. It's something I complained a lot about some recent adaptations and shows is like how long these episodes are and they don't ever deserve to be that long. Like they don't use their time wisely. And one thing about Andor is it uses every moment to either forward a character or a plot or a theme. And with Karn specifically, like every scene Karn is in, he just, you just, you get the picture of him. Like that first scene is one of my favorites where he's with his supervisor and the supervisor is like, let me get this straight. Let me tell you what I think happened. But Karn is just like, yes, I've edited my, uh, 
<laughs> I've edited my um, uniform to be tucked in on the side. Yeah, but I was going to bring up that be... first scene because I was so mad. Well, not mad because like the show was great. But like first episode, you know what? I'm like, oh, I'm excited for the rest of the show. And I was really hoping his boss from that first scene was like a, a going to be a recurring character because his boss reminded me so much of Santa and Glockta. And I was like, yeah. if Glockta <laughs> was in the Star Wars universe, that would be him. That's what he would be That's saying. True. That's totally true. <laughs> it, was, it was this juxtaposition of like the pragmatic leader who actually can have wisdom about the situation and Karn, who is such like a a straightforward like A to B thinker mm -hmm. and the way they developed that and the way they showed him like talking to his troops and he like can't say anything and it's like really awkward he does not yeah. know how to rally a troop at all it's all just like so evocative of who this character is like I knew who he was immediately and it just it's such excellent storytelling when I guess they showed so much they mm -hmm. did not just tell you they they really showed you who the people are and it's one of my favorite aspects yeah when even though when Cassie was like joined... saying sorry this comment <laughs> is saying he was the star wars dwight Schrute, which 100 percent. yes so like when cassian first you know gets his taste of joining the rebellion right and he's helping with the the mission to destroy the it's the payroll right um mm -hmm. or to to steal the payroll um yeah. but when he like first like meets the crew um and the way that we're shown like again in like the original star wars films it's just kind of like a wash of orange uniforms of goodness and <laughs> like that's just the rebellion everyone in orange good guys whereas here we saw these like very individual people who each had an individual reason for being there and an individual attitude towards what they are doing and towards the empire and towards like the mission itself and towards cassian and so when cassian's like why should I join? And there's like no clear mission statement here that like one, they could like, we all agree that this is what we feel about the rebellion and the empire. And like, you've got the guy with his like magnum opus, like, you know, yeah. here's like my musings <laughs> on the philosophy of rebellion, who's like very sweet and very earnest, very naive. And it's almost like that original Star Wars feeling of like good versus evil. And it's like kind of played for laughs almost, right? Because even just now we're kind of chuckling. And yet he is the one who like dies so tragically and it mm -hmm. is his words and it is that idea that you're like as naive as that is if that's not what we're fighting for then what are we fighting for like that is actually what kind of like starts the the avalanche in Cassian's mm -hmm. mind you know like the the first pebble or whatever it's not like he's insta converted but yeah well he passes the manifesto on in his death to Cassian yeah absolutely uh, we have a, there's a comment about the saying the costume department did a phenomenal job with uh, Miro's outfit, so reminiscent of Nazi clothing, which matched her personality well in the last episodes. I agree, and I think the costuming just in general on the show was so. Well, the original good. Star Wars films also coded all the Empire as the Nazis, right, like with the right. uniform. So it was also just like very, um, it felt very like this is what Star Wars looks like. Like it was matching the mm -hmm. aesthetic of like that era of Star Wars. Yeah, I have to say one thing that always distracts me and it distracted me a lot in Andor is you have like the blue and red squares marking rank, but what do they mean? Do you ever think like, I just got so distracted at like, someone there's so many knows, someone knows, right? <laughs> there's probably if a wiki article somewhere. <laughs> email me, DM me. I'd like to know because it did distract me. I was like, there's so many combinations. Can someone tell me what it means? But no, I do think it's good. I have said before that Karn's little outfit with his like fake tie. The fake tie. I love that so much. I would wear it today, now, just like 
Someone make it for me. <laughs> I love it. I'm a huge fan of all the like Coruscant outfits. I'm just like, mm. oh, it's so, and, and the way they do like the, the designing of inside their house, um, on Mothma's oh, yes. house and like the framing through the doorways. I'm always just like, oh, it's so beautiful. Cassian is not a fashionista. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really uh, immersion breaking if he was. It would. It's true. <laughs> He's wears appropriately weathered and dirty clothing. So. Except for when he's clean and in a matching uniform with everybody else as a prisoner trying to build the Death Star. Yeah, ironic. So that, that, that those prisoner episodes are probably some of the best episodes of the entire season. Not least because Andy Circus is in them. So <laughs> yeah. Someone so okay. good. Someone I know in my personal life was like, Yeah, that was really good. I just wish Andy Circus wasn't in it. And I was like, What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Like there are what? people out here who think that he was so. Do they also hate Cass on Shadow oh. and Bone? Is it the same person? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't believe so. Maybe I should check. Um, Andy Sergis, he just did a phenomenal job in that role. Oh, like, yeah. And even Chills. for how limited a time we see that Incredible. character, he has an entire character arc that is yes. like told within the few episodes he's in. It's so good. And that's that's the episode that has huge rewatchability because when I rewatched that and realized he was giving. Cassian's speech when he knew he would not escape like he already knew at that point that there was no escape from then he's giving that speech makes the rewatch almost more emotional than the original watch of that episode oh I always find which, the rewatch yeah. of anything that made me emotional worse the second time because in addition to being emotional in the scene that's emotional I am preemptively emotional because I know it's about to happen <laughs> <laughs> I'm already pre-crying yeah. <laughs> yeah it was really just so well done and um I had talked about this before, but, you know, I was watching this really close to watching Rings of Power and I don't want to like say rude things just about that anymore because I've done a lot. But what really struck me about that episode is he says, I can't swim. And it's just like such a bomb drop. It is such an emotional moment. But oh, out of context, I can't swim doesn't mean anything. And it and it highlighted for me that like you don't need to like go overboard and try to have fancy words and dress it up and be poetic the po the poetry comes in the emotion behind it and like we had had four episodes to get to the point where some a character saying i can't swim is just gut wrenching mm -hmm. plus yeah. andy circus delivering it oh yeah <laughs> andy circus delivering it. yeah <laughs> i mean he's just he's so talented <sighs> yeah i just thought a lot of the performances in the show were really excellent and i got i mean i and i gotta compare it honestly because this was my feeling watching the first half of the mandalorian I, the main actors did a good job but a lot of the side characters or like the random people that didn't show up again i like sometimes were not very good and i just felt like that was not an issue i had because um, that kept pulling me out of the story, too, where it didn't feel immersive. That was part of my problem with The Mandalorian. Whereas this, I felt it was very immersive, where I felt like the people were believable that they were, you know, like living or doing whatever it is that they're doing on the show. Well, I mean, none of these characters, like, or none of these actors were hired to be, like, the character that's in this one episode. I mean, like, maybe right. they are only in one episode because, like, they die or something, or Cassie's mm -hmm. only there for a second. But you know what I mean? It's like, I wasn't hired to be for, like, the, like, isolated arc of episode three. It's, like, right. this ongoing story that everyone is, like, connected and part of. Yeah, which helps. Yeah, the acting, I think, was 
I mean, top notch. I was connected to every character. Like I loved them all so much. And um, that is a change from, I mean, like Obi-Wan's acting other than, um, um, you oh and my McGregor. gosh. Thank you. He's like one of my favorite people. I like my <laughs> brain is dead tonight on names. I get it. It happens. Ian McGregor, who acts the heck out of everything. Of course, I'm, I love him. But um, other than that, it was pretty sparse. <laughs> it, it was pretty sparse. Um, and so I think that was also, it's hard not to, cause I watched them, you know, they came so close together. And yeah. I mean, I actually, I didn't watch Andor until I think three or four episodes were out. Um, because I wasn't, Obi-Wan was so bad. I said, I was never going to watch a Star Wars show again because uh -huh. I just thought, we got no. you. <laughs> I know they put in and then, and then like enough people, like I had like so many people being like, okay, but you have to watch Andor. I was like, fine. Um, but uh, yeah, all the characters just delivered such emotional performances from from top to bottom. And that's yeah. what really sold it. But to what you just said also, like, is heart is like painful that like, for multiple reasons, it's not only one reason that it got very low viewership, at least to begin with. I don't know if that's changed now, like over time with all the positive reviews that have come out, if like people have gone back to watch it. But like week to week, like it was one of the worst performing shows on Disney+. Plus. And like, I think there's many reasons for that, but not least of them is that so many bad Star Wars shows had come out that there were many, you know, bookborns out there who were like, I've had it. I'm not going to try another one. And so yeah. it's like, it's being punished for like other bad shows existing when it itself has done nothing wrong, um, which is a shame. But yeah. and it's the also the fact thing. that the legacy characters aren't in it. And people are like, yeah. I don't know who Cassian is. And it's like... I I don't care but, about that. As long as you're telling me a good story that feels like it's legitimately part of this universe, I don't care if it's got legacy characters. Yeah, and I think that's that is the biggest rub for me is Obi-Wan used as stuffed as many legacy characters as they could in that show, whether it was justified or not. And spoiler alert, it was not justified, even within the lore. Okay. I can't get any more mad about this. I just I gotta let it go. But like every time I talk about it. Um and that but Disney, as far as Disney Plus knows, at recent numbers, that's what they should do. They should make garbage referential shows because oh. that's what gets money and views, whether or not it has lasting integrity. Whereas, like, to me, Andor is lasting. Like, I would Absolutely. watch it again. I want, when my kids are old enough um, to view more Star Wars stuff, like, I'd show them Andor and be like, well, you have to watch it. It is, for me, part of the Star Wars canon in a way that even though I enjoyed Mandalorian, it is not a part of the canon, like in the way that I'm like, you have to watch this to understand Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But for me, Andor feels that way. Like, I know you don't, but I love it so much. It feels a part of the system, if that makes sense, in a way that the other shows haven't. Yeah, I agree. Well, and uh, Liana talked me into watching it, which oh, seems to be true for welcome. a lot of shows. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't told you. You know what else I'm watching? House of the Dragon? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> it is very good. <laughs> I feel like I know House of the Dragon without having watched it. I did tell Lena you basically knew. every episode. You know, it is, I, I, so I never watched the Game of Thrones show because I was just like, this seems like a lot. And Leanna like kept pushing me to watch House of the Dragon. So I was finally like telling my husband, I was like, let's just try it. And so... But it's kind of funny that I'm talking really to good. you guys about Andor because I have like frequently referred to Andor as the Game of Thrones of Star Wars because it is the most <laughs> like mature and political and like yeah. grand in scope and being like very adult and it's like, you know, messy, gray, you know, kind of 
much it's not it's not for kids though Um, yeah yeah. Yeah. i don't know i don't know bethany what your history with star wars is but like i for sure know that i am a way bigger star wars fan in general than liana like i think i feel strongly about star wars in a way that liana can't fathom because (laughs) so i don't know where you fall on that bethany that would actually be interesting for me yeah no i'm i've been a star wars fan for a really long time however I i think i am i'm like an unusual part of the fandom that is like usually fairly happy, even if I have criticisms, like Mm -hmm. I I don't, I'm not like super critical of ever, although I'll be critical of the Mandalorian because I thought it was, you didn't watch it. (laughs) Well, I watched like half of it. You gave up. I mean, I gave up on it, but like the movies and stuff, like even though I have criticisms of them, like I, I still enjoyed them. I don't hate the new movies. So, um, but yeah, no, I've been watching Star Wars since so I was you're a like a good fan. I try yeah. to be a good fan. Um, I am, I actually am a huge prequel apologist. So I am there with you in that way. I will apologize for the prequels all the time. Um, but the sequels I did struggle with. So I think that was the hard thing. Like I struggled with the sequels and then Mandalorian was fine. And then Obi-Wan came out and it was just like, what are we doing? Like what, what? But, like, Obi-Wan didn't have to be that way because, like, we just saw that, like, Cassie and Andor's fate is known. That can't be rewritten. And yet you can write this amazing show about him. And, like, okay, so Obi-Wan, we know, is in the desert living near Luke. Uh, Like, that is unchangeable. So, like, part of me is like, okay, well, so then you can't write a show. But if you're going to write a show, (laughs) you know, there is a way to do that. And Ewan McGregor is a very good actor. So if you did a very introspective, like, him, him just dealing with the grief of having lost... Anakin his like dearest friend somebody that he really trusted like there's so much like character story to tell with that that would be a very slow introspective not action-packed not legacy character busting like it it would be a very mature show in the way that Andor is a very mature show so like if they weren't willing to do that well then you get what you get so Obi-Wan I say that all the time could have been so good there's one scene in Obi-Wan that I actually sincerely loved which is when Owen is basically telling Obi-Wan to like get the F out. Like I were, we have Luke now. He doesn't need to be a part of you anymore. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. It was, it was so well acted. I'm like, if that was just the show, like he's there and he wants to look over Luke, but Owen has said, get out. And then they allow Obi-Wan to just go do other stuff. It wouldn't be very canon breaking. And they, and I was like, I could have watched a whole season of him just like sadly cutting sushi and, (laughs) and dealing with like the, what just happened and, you know, seeing the story of how he got from there to to Ben, yeah. um, you know, and what well, also, happened. Losing Anakin and also then because he's no longer like forget Anakin, his whole life was being a Jedi Knight. And like yes. that was like his yeah. like job, his the life order. was calling. And so then now not only has he lost Anakin, he's lost his entire raison d'etre. So like just like there would be so much character work to do with that. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it would have to be a smaller, narrower story and it could have been tragic too because let's say it's two seasons or whatever and and it has to basically end with him deciding to be a hermit like that has to be the ending the ending is like giving up everything and that could be like an interesting tragedy to explore it doesn't even have to be tragic because like when we meet ben in star wars he seems pretty at peace with like this being his life and so then after like going through the like emotional work of like coming to terms with what he's lost both personally and like in terms of the people that he's lost and everything, if he finally finds some peace and is willing to like, okay, well then I I've like fought my demons and I've made peace with that. And I'm just going to like live on for like the next generation and do what I can for them. And it's fine. It's for them now. 
Like my time has passed. I'll be here when they need me and just be at peace with them. That's the Ben we meet in A New Hope. Well, and one thing that's interesting is if you consider, which I think you're supposed to, the new Star Wars books and everything as canon, which I haven't read a lot of them yet, but I'm starting this year to try to get into some of them. Um, There's a short story collection that has a story about him that suggests that he was originally there to try to look after Luke and protect him. And then Luke's uh, aunt and uncle basically said, we don't want you around him. We think you're a bad influence. Stay away. But he still stayed on the planet so that he was there in case of an emergency, which yeah, I mean, that's what they tried. Too. They tried to do that. Right. And that mm-hmm. was the best part of the TV show. And mm-hmm. then they threw in every possible fan service moment possible. And yeah. it doesn't make sense. And anyway, this isn't about Obi-Wan. It's about how why Andor is so good. And it's because Andor <laughs> understood that concept. It's because Andor didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Andor was so good. Well, like another, so another thing I want to talk about that I think is interesting with Andor is the whole family dynamic of Mon Matha and her husband mm-hmm. and their fraught relationship and their very teenage daughter. <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, they're so like, they have not a great relationship. And she's trying to hold it together to support this rebellion that they have no idea what's going on. It's just... Well, also Stellan Skarsgård's character, whose name also escapes me. um, But he was like, a really interesting piece of rebellion. And our like, he's, you know, our path into it, you know, for Cassian. But like the his attitude towards the rebellion, and he's like one of those like he he could be in a he could be in Game of Thrones, he could be in an Abercrombie book where it's like why are you doing what you're doing? And it's like it's like for good, but like the way you'll do it is like well the ends justify the means, and right. like it's it, Luthen has not, some, that's his character name's Luthen. I have yeah. the list up just so I can like that's useful. Yes, I tried um, to take some notes. <laughs> Luthen um, had some of the best scenes also um when he's telling that one like mole in the when the mole is like trying to get out he's like i got a family now and he's like too bad like mm-hmm. that that's too bad for you and then also when he talks to um saw guerrera and mm-hmm. basically they come up to the purpose of like we'll call it war like yeah we're gonna sacrifice them and i'm gonna think twice yeah. about it that's that's yeah. the price those are some like very powerful moments. It's it's wild. Well, and even just I think he's such an interesting character. I love the scene where you first see him on his ship changing back into the character he plays mm-hmm. in Coruscant of like putting on the wig and putting on the clothes and moving, changing his body movements. And I just think it's so interesting to see the the sort of two faced piece of who he portrays well it's also yeah. i feel like uh other stories would have you like where cassian might doubt him but he, he was always gonna have cassian's back in the end and it's like he definitely doesn't and the no. way that it's shown where it's like you kind of root for cassian to join the rebellion and you kind of are like well these are the good guys and like you should join it but then you're like cassian's not wrong for being wary of doing this <laughs> like um, yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, the theme of the whole show is sacrifice, right? It's what people are going to sacrifice for what they believe in. And it's sacrificing relationships and your life and your beliefs. And it's such an interesting theme. And going back to the question you asked, Bethany, about the family, like it's such a good representation of that because I I really like that they showed Mon Mothma as having this fraught relationship with her family because there, at least for me, there was this hint of like her and her husband used to get along better. They have been married for years. They kind of reminisce in one of these episodes about 
being young and in love and getting married. And now Mon Mothma's having to play this dual role of pretending and, and she's sacrificing. She like gets in this huge fight with her husband to like off way suspicion from her. And then in the end, this like tragedy of like, she said she wasn't going to sell out her daughter. And the last scene of the season is yeah. her selling out her daughter. And, and it's giving like the reality of like Mon Mothma is a very important character in the Star Wars lore, right? She's like yeah. huge for the rebellion. And like, she's the one who gets it like started after the empire is like over. And so to see that side of her, I just, I really enjoyed that quite a bit. And it was complicated. It wasn't painting her husband, in my opinion, as like a villain. Like I agreed with Mon Mothma, but I also empathized with the husband who's like, probably is feeling like he doesn't know who he's married to anymore. I don't know. I had sympathy for everyone. Yeah. And the daughter too, who would be like, I don't yes. like, that's why she's like more and more like with her father and not wanting to have yes. anything to do with her mother. Cause like, even if you're, you can't pinpoint it, like you have an intuition about like, you're, I don't, I don't trust you. I don't know you. I don't, you know, and you can't really be open and honest with a person emotionally or even literally when you're doing that all the time and they can sense it. And, and the tension of maybe the dad is the more lenient parent right. and Mon Mothma isn't. And so as a teenager, you're also, when there's friction there, you're probably mm -hmm. going to side with the person who's yeah. letting you do what you want to do. It just it's felt true. very rooted in reality. I don't know. It, it really we also did. get this okay. like interesting like world building piece of like where she comes from and how marriages like are arranged there. Yeah. And like they were like, like 15 yeah. when they Super got married. Young. And but that that was like the the norm. And it seems like maybe she regrets that and doesn't want it for her daughter, but then kind of ends up having to allow that even and I think it's interesting too that the daughter's rebellion is to like get like really into the religion of the planet they're from <laughs> I was like yeah it's like she really feels like a teenager well I I think yeah that is so interesting right because Mon Mothma is fighting like she has this whole thing where like she fights publicly in small ways so the suspicion is alleviated that she's doing anything more and so mm -hmm. it's hilarious that the daughter's rebellion is to actually dig in more to the mm -hmm. coruscant culture and dig in more yeah it's just like it was just very well done i i was yeah. very interested in that yeah same Did anyone else think that the payroll heist would take more of the, the season, that almost the whole season would be about the payroll heist? Uh, I don't... Because I did. And then I was like, oh, we're done. We're doing new, different things. <laughs> Honestly, I was kind of glad. I think I would have gotten bored with it if it had gone on much longer. <laughs> like, I feel I'm like not mad was... that it wasn't. I yeah. just, like, when I was watching, because I didn't know what to expect. So then mm -hmm. as we were like... Yeah, we were I didn't really, like. I liked that we weren't rushing it because like other shows will be like half of an episode is something that you're like, this would have taken months to plan. Like, how is yeah. this like happening in 10 minutes? So it seemed like we were taking our time showing how complicated it is to pull off a heist like this. How many pieces have to be in place? How much you have to just trust that they're going to handle their piece of it and the timing mm -hmm. has to be right and all of that. So we were taking our time with it. And so I was like, are we doing that for 10 episodes? <laughs> like, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> No. Well, and I'm kind of glad because I was at least at that point most invested. Well, it's interesting. The first time I watched it, I was way more invested in what was happening on Coruscant than what was happening on Aldani. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, okay. But what rewatching it, 
I appreciated it more because I already knew these side characters. And so I cared more about them and was paying closer attention to what they were saying and how the character development was happening. So even though I didn't find it that compelling on a first watch, I did on a second watch. That's funny. I loved the Valdani stuff. That was like <laughs> when I first watched it, what I was so invested in. Um yeah, I didn't, I don't know. I can't remember how I felt. I do remember thinking I liked how they ended up doing like three, three, four. Like they kind of had like mini arcs within the season. I felt like it helped it move forward. Um, I actually, interestingly enough, found a lot of the things in the show predictable in a way that surprisingly didn't hurt my enjoyment. Like when Cassian talks to his mom, the way he talked to her, I just knew he'd never see her again. I just knew I could tell, right, that she was going to die. And even yeah. the guy with the... um the book, you know, that we talked about, like the really innocent guy, I had turned to my husband and said, well, he's going to be the one who dies. Like, I of just course. know it. I know he's <laughs> going to be the one who dies. And um, well, I was going to say, I think that uh, that kind of goes to like why this show works, because I feel like their yes. entire approach with this show was the, like, I feel like the mindset of writers writing sci-fi fantasy is oftentimes not the mindset of writers who are writing like a war from history or just a historical drama. Because some people are like, oh, you can't write prequels because you know how it ends. I'm like, so you can't watch a story about the Tudors, the kings of England, because, oh, we know how history ends. So you're like, look at all the movies that are about history yeah. and they win all the, like a war about, or a movie about the Civil War in the United States. No one wants to watch that. We know how it ends. Like, that's not the case because like those mm -hmm. stories, like they're not about not knowing how it ends. And so then yeah. like Andor like went into it is like, if this was like a, a real story about like, oh, the historical political upheaval of this time when there was, it's like if we were watching um like during the, when we had uh, the Cold War, when you watch Cold War stories and you watch like, again, we know how it ends. We know the right. USSR gets defeated, but there's really interesting Cold War stories watching all the people that are part of like espionage and all this kind of thing. And so Andor is treated like that. It's like a story that like the ending doesn't matter because this is like a historical political epic. Yes, but this ship can't mm -hmm. sink is the comment. Yeah, like, or the Titanic, for instance, we know how that ends, too. Because, <laughs> so like, it, like it, when it, you said when he's talking to his mom and you know that he's not going to see her again, and it's like, yeah, most SFF is like, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to see each other again? Whereas, like, a war story is like, yeah, the, the boy going off to war saying goodbye to his parents, you're like, you're meant to watch that scene and go, he's never going to see them again. And it's not like, oh, I saw it coming. It's like, no, you're, like, meant to recognize the emotional weight of this moment. Yeah. yeah, and I extra appreciate it just because, again, I was watching a lot of shows at the time that were really emphasizing mystery, and it was such a good, like, reminder, like, you really don't need the mystery. Like, very little in this was, I mean, we didn't know how some things were going to end, obviously, but there was a lot of stuff that you you knew, and they told we you. We didn't they know no Andy Serkis couldn't you. swim. We didn't know oh. Andy Serkis couldn't swim, and I am personally victimized by that fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, and to your point, like, it's in the way it's told. I think of Hamilton, like the, the novelty of the Ham Hamilton play is that it's told in a funny and unique and different way. It's not that we don't know everything Hamilton, about Hamilton. I'm, I'm not sure I've, I've heard of. Hamilton. heard of that? I've never talked about that. It's a little, it's a Atlanta, little obscure. A little off Broadway, a little niche. <laughs> a little niche thing that no one cared about and failed miserably. Um, but yeah, it is, it's just like such a, a good example of that, which is why I need it to be really popular. Like I said, I can't, I've Googled trying to figure out the numbers, but they don't release that stuff after like the first week or whatever. But I yeah. hope, I hope that it has like a long lasting effect and does well because I need yeah. it to, I need it to prove the point. So here's my question that I still have. 
what happened to his sister? Like the whole thing started with him trying to track down his sister. And we do get a moment with his mom saying, not looking at him in the eye while she says it, like, you need to stop looking. She's dead. There were no survivors. And I'm like, is that true? Or do you know something you're not saying that you just can't, can't know? I don't know. I have, I have questions. Maybe that's what season two is about. Maybe that's what season two is about. I have two minds about it. I think either Leanna's right and that's what season two is about. Or like part of me wouldn't hate if she really was dead. Because I do think part of Cassian's story is that he won't let go. Yeah. Um, like he just, he thinks he can do it. He thinks he can fix it. He I thinks have, he can do it. Frankly, I had forgotten that there was a sister that he was looking for. Oh. So it's not like I'm like, who's season two, sister? Like when you said that now, I was like, well, maybe that's what their plan is for season two. But I low-key did not remember that he had a sister. <laughs> yeah, that's in the very first scene and in like the flashback scenes, which mm-hmm. um, I actually quite like the flashback scenes. At first, I, I didn't. That was I wasn't sure were flashbacks my like my family and i when we were watching it we were like this is a flashback no this is not a flashback. this is happening right okay. now wait who is wait this is a flashback that's cast <laughs> it's no, definitely a flashback yeah well, like we finally were like it's yeah, definitely okay. i think someone finally said his name or like he was finally yeah. the meeting but until he like met her and was adopted by her we were like it is a flash it's not a flashback, it is a flashback. <laughs> How does this yeah at, <laughs> at first i worried they were spending too long on that that was like the one thing i remember being like are they spending too long on this but like I really got the vision in the end, especially because I think those parts help us understand. Because in Rogue One, Cassian has this like um, speech to Jin um, Urso where he's like, easy for you to say, like easy for you to be whatever. But like, I've been fighting in this rebellion my entire life. And I think those scenes were needed because like at the moment that we enter Andor, Cassian is not fighting for the rebellion. So to see how it started and this is more like a brief pause in between Mm -hmm. how he feels that he was fighting for the rebellion I do think was really good context that added like a lot of depth to that moment in Rogue One too Mm. to realize that Cassian didn't just fight for the rebellion his entire life like I don't know for some reason that was like a very I really loved that character development for him yeah that's interesting they also did some cool mirroring moments in the show, but one yeah. with the with the flashbacks is when they're at the at the end is sort of like going back and forth between these scenes of him in the spaceship being taken away by his mom, who's like adopt going to adopt him, and him being in the spaceship being taken away by Luthen, and like the side by side shots. I just thought were really interesting. Yeah, they do a lot of that with, um, like, the way characters speak as well. Like, I already said that one about um, Val and how she talks to her sister and her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I loved how they constantly did that um, symmetry and how um, I'm pretty sure like, a lot of the stuff Andy Circus said was, like, stuff that Cassian had said to him. So I really loved that theme. Um, and I actually didn't notice the ship thing that you just said. So like, yeah, that like, it's totally the same thing though. Like how they're mirroring that. I didn't even notice that one. I noticed it when I was rewatching the episode. Oh, I was like, so oh, cool. that's cool. Like it was shot for shot, almost like him as a kid, him as an adult and like being taken by somebody where he doesn't have a lot of control of what's necessarily going to happen, which I think is kind of cool. cool. Mm-hmm. No, it was good. It was a really good show. Um, so we are 
at like 51 minutes. Any kind of final thoughts or topics you want to cover before we kind of do our end of show? Well, aside from the last minute, maybe season two is about the sister. Do we have any like hopes or predictions for season two? Mm. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with the daughter. And, like, the possible marriage alliance thing. Like, I'm very invested to see what happens with all that. Yeah, I am. I guess I just hope it's as it's like the first season. (laughs) Like, I mean, I I hope um, I'm actually the thing I'm most curious about is supposedly uh, the showrunner only wants two seasons. So I am very curious to see how at what like how much. Okay. Let me start the sentence over. How close do we get to Rogue One? Um, How close to the start? Because, you know, like Rogue One ends like right where A New Hope begins. Like they bring it like straight there. And so I'm curious if he is going to do or the showrunner is going to do the same thing with um, Andor. Are we going to go right up to Rogue One or is there going to be like space? So I am very curious. You're um, curious, but do you feel like you want that to happen or that you don't want that to happen? I think I don't want it to happen. I I think if I chose, oh, you're the same. Yeah, I don't want it to go straight up to Rogue One. I I hope that what it makes sense because the thing was the plans, and the plans is the start of a new hope. So it's like it kind of literally just like it has to pretty much be that way. It has because they're already building it. So and they all died. So I mean, (laughs) the plans have to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I hope that doesn't. But I am curious. Like, I guess I'm just curious where they're going to leave Cassian as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to where he is in Rogue One. Like, I'm just really curious about how that's going to be handled. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It just was striking me because you were talking earlier about Mon Mothma and how she's a such a big character and starting the rebellion and everything. And there's the scene where Luthen's assistant kind of asks him, Mon Mothma, are you sure she's worth it? And he's like, mm. I guess we'll see. <laughs> Which I'm just yeah. like, it's interesting, right? Like, And that's the I kind know. of fan service I like, right? Mm-hmm. That is like, because the moment works whether you know anything about Mon Mothma or not. Mm-hmm. But like, as someone who knows Mon Mothma, that's kind of like a good moment. You're like, she is. And we know she yeah. is. because but It's also a really realistic moment because you look at that and you don't blame them for being skeptical about it. It's yeah, not one of those like, oh, of course she's worth it, duh, idiot. It's like, no, like, I mean, she ended up being worth it. So yay. Mm-hmm. But like, that was by no means a certainty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I, there's just, oh, there's so many moments like that of characters doubting themselves. Like I actually really loved his assistant, like mm-hmm. just the way she acted and was like, you just, you got to stop checking it. Like, yeah. and I don't know. And like all the things that were unsaid with the characters, like Mon Mothma's surprised by the payroll. She has no idea her sister was involved in that. Like I yeah. just, all of that was just so expertly done. I also just so really good. enjoyed watching him play his like Coruscant persona and how like yes. goofily different that, it was like very like Scarlet Pimpernel where he's like, yes. oh, oh, yeah, I'm an <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it really was. It was great. Yeah. Oh, I'm something we didn't talk about. Time. Sorry, this is kind of random, but um, having just like really smart villains, mm-hmm. I I thought that was an interesting thing too. Like, um, both Karn and Miro are very competent, mm-hmm. um, in their own way, and so like you actually believe they're going to apprehend Cassian, which um, 
I which honestly, really Cassian's being kind of dumb, yeah. like when he goes back home, and you're like, "Why would you? You know that? Why you would you do that? Do yes, that? yeah, yeah, yeah." But it does. I mean, yeah. it's believable for his character. Like you're like frustrated with it, but you're not like this is stupid writing. You're like, "This is what he would do," and I'm so mad that he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, and not only are they competent. But I think also what makes them effective villains is that they believe they're right. They have good reasons for mm-hmm. what they're doing in their own view. They don't see themselves as villains at all. They see themselves as heroes. Which is like watching a war historical movie. Yeah. It really was rooted in like war. And I did say that to somebody like I actually felt I was watching a war um, and the reality of what which is what like even kind a rebellion of- would be. One of the things, I mean, there, okay, there's a million things wrong with, like, the new Star Wars movies, but um, one of the things that, like, most strike uh, struck me when I was watching the um, original Star Wars movies again, because I hadn't watched them in a long time. This wasn't recently, but, like, uh, I hadn't watched them for a long time, and I had the, the sequels and even the prequels fresher in my brain, and my brother and I were watching just the beginning of A New Hope. And how all the, these conversations that the people from the Empire are having, and they're like really technical, bureaucratic conversations about like, who's going to go take care of this? Do we have the information about this? Like, what's happening with this over here? And like, it's a very like, it feels like this really competent, well-organized, like, force that's unstoppable for that reason. And like, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but they're the bad guys. And it sounds important. <laughs> so like, as an adult, I was like, actually following what they're saying. And I'm like, yeah, like... Darth Vader, when he shows up, he isn't just like evil force. He's like, he shows up and he's like, so tell me where the plans are and tell me where this is. And he's like wanting like a debrief on what's going on. And he's just like a really like scary boss. But like, <laughs> like they're having these, these like meetings where they're actually having conversations about how they're running things. And like I'm in the sequels, like it's just literally running around just like shooting stuff. And it's like, what are your plans? How are you organizing this? What's going on? Well, and it's and something so that Andrew actually struck me struck me about the prequels actually because um we just watched the original three and then only the phantom menace with our son because that's what we feel like he's old enough to watch and i loved the phantom menace as a kid i have to be clear like i watched it a million i did times. too yeah i loved that movie. i dressed up as amadala every chance that i got oh, me too uh, i was obsessed with fashion like let's just oh, say a so fashion good. revolution um mm-hmm. but anyway <laughs> i was watching that first movie and i was like impressed by how political that movie is because I'm like, a lot of that must have gone over my head as a 10-year-old. Because I'm like, oh, this is like real political stuff about like sanctions and why Naboo doesn't want to be a part of the Empire. And like me as a kid is like pod racing, cool outfits, yeah. like Padme yeah. seems cool. And um, yeah. to the point where like I paused it and was like, to ask my son, like, do you have any idea what's going on? Like, let me try to explain this to you. So I do think that's interesting you mentioned that, Leanna, because I do think it gets lost a little bit. Um, sometimes when people think Star Wars is just like lightsabers. But I also think that's why the original trilogy and the prequels, which have their own flaws, but I also like, I like the prequels. Um, They, when, like, that's the thing though, is like as a kid, I watched both. And as a Mm -hmm. kid, I had no idea what Darth Vader's talking about. I had no idea what any of his, like, you know, his underlings were talking about. But I did know that Luke was like, you know, fighting with a lightsaber and that Han Solo was kind of funny and the Wookiee was kind of silly. And like, that was enough. And like, when I watched the prequels, I didn't understand like this, like embargo or this like trade agreement or like any of that. But I did know that like, they're doing pod racing. Amidala's costumes are fire. Like I didn't, they're having an important, and like from the tones of voices of the adults, you're like, Ooh, this is a secret meeting where something important's happening. I bet it's, and then you're like, look at Obi-Wan's face and you're like, he seems upset about it. So this is a bad thing. (laughs) You know, you're like, that's all you needed. And then you're like, Ooh, lightsaber fight. And like, that's fine. (laughs) 
And the new movies are just like, you can have multiple levels. You can have like the fun action that's like for casual viewers and for kids and the cool costumes that's for casual viewers and for kids. But you can also have that like deeper level of storytelling where it's like, there is like an actual like political situation here going on that is being right. discussed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a How old is your kid? That's He's eight. Um, okay. We showed him the original trilogy when he's seven, which I know is a little young. That's when I first watched Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty, pretty particular. But the, the I just really didn't want the Darth Vader thing to be spoiled. I was like so stressed about that. I was just like, I just don't want him to know that Darth Vader is Luke's dad. I just, oh. and I just worry the longer I go, because there's kids in his class who watch all of it. They've seen The Mandalorian, oh, which wow. is like crazy to me. That feels well, way too bad. Wow. Toy Story kind of Because I'm trying to think, because like my kids are so, my oldest is Wait, about what story to be spoils? Not... Toy Story spoils? Toy Story spoils Star Wars. Because oh, Zerg. Over his head. It went over his head. Because they don't know what that phrase is. Yeah. Sorry, your daughter's nine? My kid, no, my kids are, my oldest, my, my son is nine, mm. almost nine, about to be nine. And my younger kid is six. And they're like sensitive to stuff. So I haven't tried, but I'm like trying to figure out like when is an appropriate So I will say like, I don't think I'd show my daughter at seven. She's very sensitive to things. Whereas my son has never been sensitive. Like he, he only ironically gets upset <laughs> over like um, embarrassing moments. Like when he oh. watched Encanto and Mirabelle, like tells the grandma the house is falling apart and then it's not that like destroys him. He's like so embarrassed. I am your son. <laughs> I read Grimdark all day, but some like like awkward moment happens. It's humiliating. I'm like I can't watch this. I'm leaving. He, he like he literally like, covers his face with a blanket, but just like oh like a lightsaber fight. I will say if you haven't seen the originals in a while, there's no blood. Like it's something like because the new movies are in our head. Like the lightsaber fights are very tame in the original. Yeah. Also because it's not, well, and like it's like I'm less cauterized. concerned, honestly, about that. It's they more get like nervous about like scary stuff or people mm. in peril. Like that's more. It's like the emotional stuff. It's so yeah. That's like I'd favorite. let them watch lightsaber scenes. That's fine. Whatever. But yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm glad it was a really good experience. Um, we he was floored by Darth Vader being Luke's dad. Like that like destroyed him a little oh, bit and it was see, so worth it <laughs> it was so worth it he like turned to us and was like that's not true he's lying and I was like is he lying and like he was like so like oh my gosh so, so he was basically it. Luke so going no <laughs> yes, no he was just like absolutely not um so that so was my really brother. gratifying when my brother so and I good. would play pretend Star Wars things, we never, well, we didn't really have like lightsabers or anything. So we played pretend the trash compactor. So like <laughs> the, in the laundry like room, the like the like washer and dryer was like pretty close to the wall with like the, that's like the cabinet behind it. So we would sit on the floor with our feet against the washer and dryer and our backs against the cabinet going like, oh, it's, it's going to crush us. Like, <laughs> I will say that scene did stress my son out a little bit. So yeah. that would probably stress your kids out. That scene oh, yeah. Stress yeah. Out. yeah. It's funny though, Leanna, what we used to play is me and my friend's favorite scene is the one where Luke walks in and Leia says he's too short to be a stormtrooper. Like we played that scene so many times. I don't know why that scene was like peak comedy to us as like seven and eight year olds. <laughs> 
you never know yeah. what's gonna hit that's so funny well that's you helpful because I gotta figure out like when maybe not that. your six-year-old but um almost yeah. nine I feel like it's probably okay especially like in this case spoilers might help of just being like just so you know Luke and Leia and Han Solo, they are fine at the end of the movie. He would like, probably be fine that. with it. Then the question would be finding a time where they're not both together to do it. But we put it early and let my son stay up late, which meant we did have to sometimes watch the movies split. In pieces, yeah. And he would start falling asleep and then be like, okay, I'm awake, I'm awake. And I'm like, okay, we'll just pause it for tonight and we can watch yeah. it tomorrow. <laughs> Um, so we did watch them, not necessarily like all in one mm-hmm. sitting, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Cool. Okay. Well, um, so we're going to move into a part of this that's called On Our Radar. We'll talk about recent and upcoming releases in science fiction and fantasy. Leanna, I don't know if you have anything this week. I have some. Um, you'll have, if you have anything uh, to share, Hillary, you can. But if first, uh, first, if y'all do appreciate the podcast, we would love it if you would take a moment to rate and review us so we can reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Today's bonus content for patrons, we're going to be discussing the Wired article about Brandon Sanderson. So that should be some interesting content. So uh links. You mean are... the article that I wrote? According <laughs> <laughs> we'll to some it, folks. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, but if you want to <laughs> join us there, um, huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world expander patrons, Stephanie. You all make what we do possible. So thank you. And I will be back with Izzy April 11th for our next episode, talking neon gods. And then the last Tuesday of April, me and Leanna will be back talking Blood of Elves, continuing with our Witcher read along. So stay tuned for that. Um, books any i i'll i'll start with one i have one that's like weird but i really liked it feed them silence by lee mandello it's a horror novella that is i don't know it's kind of strange but i think it works it's partly about a marriage falling apart and partly about this experimental science that links somebody's brain to the brain of a wolf and like weird stuff happens hmm. So. so it just sounds like the realm of the elderlings fits in night eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but more scientific and horror-ish. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Someone read the realm of the elderlings like, what if this was possible? <laughs> make it possible. <laughs> make it possible and then also make it commentary on this like slowly splintering marriage of between middle-aged partners. <laughs> like, it's, it's interesting. Um, um, I'm excited for the book that wouldn't burn by Mark Lawrence. I actually have that. That's going to be my next read, and I am very excited to read it. So, nice. um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That's exciting. Thank you, PJ, for the thirty dollars. You appreciate it. Um, another one that I really loved was Lone Women by Victor Lavelle, which actually ended up being a book of the month pick this month it's historical fiction horror following a uh i can't say too much about it because it's one of those things you want to go in not knowing very much to be honest but it's really good and it follows this young black woman who is going off to start a new life in 
rural Montana in like the early 1900s after her parents have died in some kind of a very violent way. And she has this mysterious trunk she's taking along with her. And every time it opens, people disappear. And it's a really, really good book, but you shouldn't probably know too much more than that. So I would recommend it though, if people are interested. It's I need like to read if more new commander went around stealing people and putting them in his suitcase. Yeah, except with a lot more social commentary and stuff. <laughs> so. Oh, it's not exactly like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? <laughs> no. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't get a deep social commentary out of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? Clearly, <laughs> you guys are not watching closely. Clearly. <laughs> I think the Niffler is a metaphor for late-stage capitalism. That's fair. I got that too, Lana. Really. I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so I don't know if anybody has anything else. I have like a list of a few other things that are coming out. Yeah, soon. I'm like dying that I interrupted your list. I thought you were only saying one, and so I no. cut in, and now I'm like, you're I fine. did it it's, all wrong. No, no, no. I'm you're panicking. totally. No, you're totally good. I, you have like, more than know, me. <laughs> I usually like when Liana occasionally has them. We'll go back and forth, but like. <laughs> I usually have one, if yeah, at all. Like, cool, I've ruined everything. No, you have not Cut ruined anything. It's great. Do you have anything else? And I just... No, I am boring. I I don't have anything super new, I feel like, to talk about. What's the I have book? a couple, but they're books. like two months out, and I need to save them for the next episode so I can be like, mm-hmm. I have one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because it's always exciting when you do. <laughs> I feel like a lot of mine this month are kind of more horror than sci-fi fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher is Southern Gothic horror with a haunted house story that's really interesting, but it's not super scary horror. So if you want to dip your toes in the genre where something's like a little creepy, but it's not, it doesn't go that hard, that could be a good option. It's also kind of funny sometimes. And then, yeah. And then Chaos and Flame by Tessa Gratton and Justina Ireland is the first book in a new YA fantasy series that's pretty good. It's like political fantasy and has some interesting twists and turns to it. It's a bit slow to start, but if you once you kind of get into it, I think it's doing some kind of some cool stuff. So, you know, that just reminded me, I did just read Dead Country by Max Gladstone, which just got released a few weeks ago, I think. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, it's really weird. It's pretty short. It's like a novella. I guess it's a full novel. It's like 200 pages though. So it's pretty short, 250. And, um, for SFF readers, it's a short story. That's nothing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, I really ended up liking it. It was a really unique story and kind of like crazy magic. It also got like a little bit of a slow start for me, but then I really got into it. Um, I would recommend it for people who already like Max Gladstone. I had only read, this is how you lose the time war. I, that's oh. like a controversial book. People either really yeah. like that or don't. And I'd be like, if you don't like it, yeah. <laughs> if you don't like that, I don't think people will like Dead Country because it's written in a very okay. similar, like written in a very similar way where it's very out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who did like that book, Dead Country was very good. I awesome. enjoyed it. It's one of those ones where I was like, I see why people love this. I just don't. I know. You and Leanna both don't like it. It's fine. It's fine. We all like Andor. That's the important thing. That's truly the important thing. And we all like First Law, the truly truest, most important thing. So true. (laughs) True story. Very, very true. Accurate. 
So yeah, thank you, Hillary, for joining us for the episode. It was really fun to talk Andor and uh, join us when when we're back. I'll be back April 11th to talk Neon Gods for the first of our, where me and Izzy are doing a read-along for the whole, what is it, Ducky, I think, Dark Olympus series by Katie Roberts. So if you want to join us for that, we'll be starting that. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast. We're your hosts, Bethany and Leanna. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Chapter 3 Podcast. And you can also find us on our individual YouTube channels. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Episodes, bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.